Culture eats strategy for lunch, and informed cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. With us today is Jerry Gregoire. Jerry, good morning. Morning. So Jerry, you know, we work together, first worked together, oh gosh, uh, this is it a decade ago now, a little over a decade. Boy, at least, at least. And you were at Whole Foods Market at the time. Uh, we had some fun in the downtown office there in, in Austin. Um, but Jerry, for our listeners, if you don't mind, just uh, give a quick introduction to yourself, you know, what you've been doing over the years and where you are today. Sure. Uh, I'm Jerry Gregoire. I'm currently the director of data engineering for Storable. Um, came to Storable about uh, almost six years ago now. Before that, spent 15 years bouncing around Whole Foods IT department, various data and BI centric roles. Um, our client uh, organization, I joined when it was first called Sparefoot. Um, it was a startup uh, based here in Austin around uh, a marketplace and lead generation service for the self-storage industry. Since that time, almost immediately upon my arrival there, uh, we began acquiring and merging with other companies in that same vertical. So facility management software companies, payment provider companies, insurance providers, um, call center or automation stuff, all kinds of, of services, every, every technology service you might need to own and operate a self-storage facility. Um, it was a rapid shift from uh, kind of the, the small software-driven internet-facing startup that I joined to a multifaceted SaaS provider <laughs> and, and even non-technology solution provider in a, in a very specific market. But uh, once you start noticing self-storage facilities by the side of the road, you get it done. Yeah, they are everywhere. And it's, it's funny how they until you like it, it's like that that uh, awareness thing you start to notice it more once you have become you know made aware that something exists it's like oh wow i didn't even see that by the road before <laughs> yeah but it's in your neighborhood so maybe you should have <laughs> but that's right <laughs> so jerry you know we grabbed lunch um a few weeks back and and when we were catching up on you started to describe what the team at storable is doing and i just blown away with all that. And I said, ended up at the end of that launch, we like, okay, this would make a great discussion. So if we set the stage a little bit, you came to Sparefoot, um, smaller startup, but then it's been grown a lot. So you have grown organically, grown by That's acquisition. Right. And so all of that presents massive, um, both data challenges, but data opportunities. And, and when you were right. walking me through some of those the amazing things, the team, so, so let's you know, there, there are many doors we can walk through on this very interesting room that we're about to take a look at. So which one do you want to walk through first, right? You know, it's like, hey, the M&A, hey, well, the grows, you know, hey, which, you know. Yeah, we can talk about, we can talk real briefly about kind of the origins mm -hmm. of uh, the data platform and data engineering practice sure. at the company. And then we can talk about kind of how, how it's diversified and the challenges that that has presented when the growth comes from acquisition or merge. Uh, the data, data platform team, data engineering team as it exists today was originally started by Sparefoot, which, like I said, was a web, web facing marketplace for 
self-storage. So if you need a self-storage unit, you would go to sparefoot.com or selfstorage.com or a handful of other kind of kind of storefronts. Um, and that is our back end. That is facing our back end. And we made uh, our business in connecting you with a facility operator. And that was, was as a marketplace, the data needs were pretty, you know, pretty, pretty specific to making that marketplace operate. What, what is the, what tunes and tweaks can I make to that web front to increase conversion rate, uh, to make the funnel lead customers to, to a reservation, which led to revenue for the company. Mm -hmm. Gather that information with all the other information you're generating inside the company. And now you've got kind of awareness of state and operations um, and, and also information to do things like A-B testing on what is going to inspire funnels to, to improve the search algorithm, to improve the marketing algorithm, to do better things with ad, you know, a media ad buys and pay-per-click. And we started to, to expand. Mm -hmm. And the next thing, then the next company we merged with was a facility management software company. So like any hotel, like any restaurant, like any, uh, you know, public school system, there is some management software on the back end that that's managing your reservation, your stay at that self-storage facility, billing you, whatever. And uh, that, that company's called SiteLink. They were, uh, or still are, uh, one of the biggest products in that space. But they were very different. They were a, a, a SaaS provided software company that was not particularly multi-tenant. <laughs> it was structured. It yeah. was suddenly very Microsoft based. Yep. Um, it was hosted out of a, out of a, a local data center, not even out of a cloud provider at first. Oh, wow. And a very different setup and flow and a very different way of measuring the line of this. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you so we had to tackle. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you go from, you know, Sparefoot, which is like a marketplace making engine to now having management as well. So not only is it a different platform, right. but now it's different processes and, and an entirely different, but highly related aspect to the business. Right. And we've gone from kind of a flowing and real-time type of data stream in terms of, you know, marketplace usage and interactive activity to suddenly there's just a lot of accounting information. Fun, fun, fun thing about, about you know, the way that SiteLink operated is they operated their own customers as though they were tenants in a virtuous storage <laughs> facility. So they were dog booting their own platform a little bit for managing their, their business. <laughs> anyway, that, that presented some, some first phase and integration challenges. Off we have this, this odd duckling we need to go figure out how to, how to make work along with the rest of our line of business. But then we acquired another facility management software company. And it was multi-tenant and cloud first, but written in Ruby and <laughs> using a completely different set of things. And another, another, and another, and payments and insurance and all of these other lines of business we've gotten into. What that meant was we didn't have um, control necessarily over or, or input as to kind of what our dependent platforms were going to be built on. Mm -hmm. And we were constantly playing catch up. Um, in terms of how to, how to pull data in and ingest it. One of the advantages we had at all was that the data platform team was started by what was essentially kind of a full stack software company. So it was originally built by full stack software engineers yeah. in a lot of cases, rather than folks that were, you know, dyed in the wool ETLists or, or, you know, kind of classical data engineers. Mm -hmm. So everything was built to be flexible, to be extensible. We've continued that. 
right? Even as we've turned over the team, folks have left the team, new folks have joined the team. We've migrated. We are still primarily a software team. And the software we manage is the data platform, which we also operate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where, whereas, you know, we have, we ingest data from dozens of source systems across hundreds of touch points. Most of those touch points and most of those integrations, we actually dynamically generate. So we wrote the software that wrote the software uh, to make our, our, our integrations happen. And then lean on a lot of, you know, open source solutions, a lot of ser services and solutions that are immediately available to us via AWS, where Sparefoot was AWS backed. Um, we've kind of made, made that uh, a continuing location for, for, for our activities for the time being. Yeah, and I think that's an... And frankly, <clears throat> if, it's, if it's available, why not? Yeah, right? absolutely. What, and, and that part right there, you know, the software engineering approach, which has been something that I've been excited to see a lot in the data space. Because, you know, when you and I worked together way back in the day at Whole Foods, you know, I was always, you know, came to the data space as having both the app dev hat and the data hat, right? And I still remember, you know, having, you know, ribbing some of my, you know, fellow consultants back at Catapult, like what you've never checked into that source control system. Right, like, yeah, yeah, right. like, you, what you do you mean you've never you've done never this? Heard, you've never, you've never pushed anything. Yeah, right. yeah. What, do you, what do you mean you've never done this? Right. And so it's been nice mm -hmm. to see a measure of discipline, thoughtfulness, you know, and you and I both have been doing this. We do remember, you know, some people probably listening to this podcast, what are you talking about? And like, no, no, no. Let me tell you how wild west the old days used to be. Right. Like it was, it literally was the joke. I, when I deploy, <laughs> I deploy it straight to production. Right. Like, <laughs> the old Dosa Keys guy, that part around the data platform and what y'all had been, the, the code that writes the code, the, the, the metadata driven was so mm -hmm. like, walk me through, walk everybody through the same example we were talking about the other day, you know, when M&A is happening or a new systems coming online, there is this almost speed of thought process that your team has created, mm -hmm. you know, wherein data is rapidly available. Um, and so, and that's just, that's just yeah. one edge to the platform that you've been building, but it's, but it kind of speaks to yeah. this heavy bent towards automation, this heavy bent towards processes mm -hmm. that your, that your group is putting in play. So, so let's start there if you don't mind, like, thank because one of the first things we all try to do is make the data available, make the data available. Yeah. So, you know, the, when, when we decide, so we, we've recently merged with the other company and they are. They use a, a, a very popular uh, data platform provider that is not, not AWS na mm -hmm. native. Um, and we decided that, you know, we, we are going to need to fully integrate them and, and the data they're using into the rest of our corporate kind of, kind of business process. Rather than starting a conversation with them about like, here are all the data points that you have, here are the data points we need. Let's do a large mapping exercise and figure that out. The first thing I did was dispatch one of our Brilliant, but but not mo not most senior team mm -hmm. member to go and build us a framework to just just go f go fishing in this particular cloud data platform provider, right? It says that look, I'm going to give you credentials and I'm going to give you a target list of of objects, or I'm not going to give you a target list at all. You're going to crawl their own metadata and just gather it all, to scrape it all, convert it, export it, and make it immediately available in, in the data platform in its current state. It took that team member about two weeks to do that work. And that was, we, we still, he, he was done fully tested and ready to roll long before we even gotten the credentials or the target list <laughs> before we're going to extract from it. 
which means that now when the time comes, we are going to add some credentials to a YAML file and add a list of, of table objects to target to a different YAML file and hit go. Now that's not groundbreaking stuff, right? This is just dynamic, dy dynamic ETL. The difference is, is that, like I said, we've done it all in code. We were able to do it with a, a, a single engineer who's, like I said, not, not the senior most part of the team. Brilliant kid, huge future, but still pretty new to the team. Our, our other approaches with some of our other database providers are as simple as, look, you're already hosting your entire application in AWS. Your databases are Aurora back. I have already all machinery necessary to identify your database, uh, export every object into, in, into Parquet and S3 and have it immediately available in our data lake. That was a piece of functionality that we invested maybe, maybe two sprints, three sprints at most building. And since then it has been a thing that we can simply kind of flip the switch on in the same way to say that, and now this database, and now this application, and now this acquisition has all of its data in the data lake. It is a little bit the opposite. I, I, I bristle at certain uh, buzzwords mm -hmm. that get kicked around our, our industry, frankly, technology mm -hmm. in general. And this is kind of the opposite of shifting left in that we are shifting right, right? We are going to first make all of the data available in one big playground. And then we'll worry about all of the normalization, all of the, the tweaking and tuning, all of the engineering in one big stage here. And that is, I mean, classical data lake architecture, mm -hmm. um, classical lake house architecture. But we can take advantage of, you know, nearly unlimited compute capacity, nearly unlimited IO capacity, and never put a burden on the source engineering team or the source. Now, Jerry, I know how you uh, like to be a counterculture person, um, but I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to provide one perspective, um, is that one could argue that you actually did shift further left, right? And I it could be, because be, it's, right. yeah, <laughs> I mean, so the, the perspective I throw out there is, uh, there's a lot of misinterpretation on the shift left because if you go ask a question, but you don't have the capability to show the people the data, what good is the question? It's just being polite, but with no with no substance. So you know, that's you exactly. Know. So here you are. Is like you're you're going to do a little bit of work, but it's it's in service to the customer, mm. to the people that are eventually going to need the data. Absolutely, no, no, yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> so no, my my beef is always like we 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 cook up, and I do the yeah. same thing because I think it's as much fun as anybody else. We cook up the shorthand to refer to something, but it requires so much context that you'd have been better off just starting at the beginning <laughs> from scratch. The shorthand saved you no time yeah, exactly. at all. It maybe made you it, it made you look cool, made you look like you're in a in a spy thriller somewhere. Yeah, but you know, we we all have we we all use lexicon to define what clubs we're in to define you know. It's true, like, yeah. So you know, you just want to be careful what you mm -hmm. use because it it's. Whether you meet to or not, you're picking, you know, you're picking little clubs or, or uh, tribes to be a part of. That's right. You're tipping your lingo. Yes. A little bit. <laughs> but to that point, I, I, and I think you might remember this from our, from our time working together earlier. If I, if I think back into my history, I think even through all of the various uh, data warehousing and ETL and BI jobs and even database administration jobs, I've had over time, my bent has always been away from the specialization and more to the software engineering approach to those problems. Um, we had no shortage of experience, no small number of ETL tools 
at at Whole Foods over those years. Mm-hmm. Um, and even before that, in jobs I'd had previously, smaller jobs I'd done on the side since then, and even, you know, at, at store, Sparefoot and Storable. But the, solu- the right solution, the most sustainable solution for me and the most natural one has always been to, okay, I don't, we're not going to be an operator of vehicles. We're going to build the tools that we need because at the end of the day, we're going to be able to engineer in all the flexibility with none of the complexity. Yeah. The other thing we talked about that, that day we grab bunch was also is just some of the decision-making, right? And so you have, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, my buddy Arun um, was talking about the buy versus build and he has worked at huge companies. And so there's a very interesting perspective, sure. you know, and y'all are kind of in the middle, maybe a little bit more towards, you know, buying some, building more. So what has mm-hmm. gone into some of that decision-making for y'all? I think you, what you're what was the term you used? Big room thinking coming up in January. Yes. Yeah. So we do, we do what we, big room big planning. Room. We call it be a BRP. Do it about once a quarter. And we round up everybody from engineering, everybody from product. We try to pull in business partners outside, you know, kind of in operations mm-hmm. as well. And everybody gets together and talks about these are the things that we're going to have to do to be successful in the next year, next quarter, whatever the time frame is. And these are the places I'm going to need assistance. And these are the places we're all going to collide. Mm-hmm. The notion being that by chasing it out, chasing out those details in front of each other, you identify opportunities for leverage. You identify kind of chances to enable stuff. It changes the calculus on value mm-hmm. of certain projects because you've sudden, suddenly realized that, look, this might have been something that was not valuable for me to pursue if only this one team was going to be advantaged by it. But it's going to unlock capabilities in these other places. So let's chase it out. And it's... It's kind of a, a, a large collaborative approach to strategic planning um, and the opposite of, you know, deci- you know, the planning of decisions start at the top and then, you know, the action happens at the bottom. This is kind of the goals are set at the top and then the planning happens at the bottom and everything kind of meets in the middle with it. This is what it's going to take and the order it's going to need to knock out in. That build versus buy decision, in addition to obviously having, you know, dollars and cents implications to it. Um, allows you to kind of look at that stuff and say, hey, one of the things that we're about to do is, and this is, this is, a, this is not a hypothetical, this is a real, a real thing. We are going to start leveraging the data lake and the data platform and all of those frameworks and technologies we've built to enable customer reporting and end user reporting for those folks that use our FMS systems. Mm-hmm. Every one of our FMS systems had some dip, has some different analytics engine and reporting framework and tool set for delivery. And we're repeating a lot of effort in those areas. In the meantime, um, the more of that load happens and requires us to scale those systems at different rates to accommodate both the analytical workload and the operational workload. But we've got this massive data platform on the back end here, and it is nowhere near top of its scale, <laughs> right? It's going to continue scaling in- indefinitely and has ingestion of all of those sources. Cadence isn't quite right yet. It's not as, not as frequent as it will eventually need to be to unlock all those capabilities. But because we get all the leverage from, from kind of a lake house format in scale, in terms of volume, right? The bigger the data set, the more leverage we get. We're highly incentivized to see if we can shift those reporting needs over to the data. Mm-hmm. We're instead, you know, I'm not going to process your report until you ask for it because I can't afford to cycle this, you know, the spin on my, my database to do that. And the data lake, the exact opposite is true. We're going to pre-calculate every report for everybody, every day, all the time, because that's where the advantage is. And suddenly the user experience is better because everything's more responsive. 
costs to operate drop because it's way cheaper to do that kind of stuff in a big data lake space. <laughs> and at the same time, we start to edge towards this, this holy grail in our industry, which is kind of a, a, a single reporting interface to a heterogeneous product. So we have a lot of product. We compete with ourselves with some of our, our, our facility management software packages. I mean, if you're a customer of one of them, you're, 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 you're kind of building your business process around that. But what if we could transition you to a single reporting front end that, or a single reporting solution that would cover every one of our products you are using or might use? Now, an interesting question I'll ask now that we did get to talk about that day, um, but I do have other customers doing this, right? They, they start to build out, you know, the data lake. And instead of the old days yep. where in, in the data systems that, you know, we were building back when you and I were working together at Whole Foods, you know, where it's kind of like all pipes flowed into the lake, but nothing flowed back out, right? Except the analytic, right? right? So it's kind of like, whoa, at some point the pool's going to fill and we're going to flood. With like lake house architectures, you know, we are looking at mm -hmm. a lot of bi-directional. So I'll take maybe my OLTP systems, my transactional systems, feed all the data into the data, data lake house make this information massively available for new data products, new insights, new analytics, but then also, you know, start to build a servicing layer, you know, whether you use, you know, I don't know, just pick anything, right? you know, eventing that information back, back, right? right? And so, you know, to yep. what extent are y'all doing that at Storable? Well, we do, we do it a couple of ways. Well, we, we do have, just like we have um, um, pretty good catalog of ingestion. <laughs> frameworks and ingestion patterns. We can stamp out, we have the same thing kind of on syndic what we call syndication mm -hmm. side, and that is our ability to relay data back to users um, or downstream systems in most cases, whether that is our, our paid media buy system back into our marketplace for sure, you know, kind of create the feedback loop for some of the algorithms, whether it's back to um, uh, Salesforce or NetSuite or wherever, wherever else that data needs to go on one side. And then there are the actual analytics users. And like everyone else, drawing breath on the planet today, there's Tableau knocking around. <laughs> we have a few other kind of interfaces that, that, that folks can use to, to, to query real-time content in the data lake. We were an early user of and still continue to use Redash. Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty, pretty simple tool to work with. We are beginning some experimentation with um, Apache Superset. Mm -hmm. And we are um, kind of very bullish on that as not just an internal facing solution, but also as we're underlying a customer facing solution for embedding analytics and controlling access and at, you know, un 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 unlocking a lot of new features that the, the current reporting suites that are built into some of our products don't simply don't allow just because it's too, either too dynamic or with too complicated with not, not never going to become a developer. Yeah. Um, a, a development priority. Yeah. And that kind of takes you to the second piece of build versus buy. Sometimes you can buy by just being a good member of the open source community. Uh, and we take, we take advantage of that a lot. We are, we are, you know, big, big users of and big believers in, in Airflow for our orchestration mm -hmm. layer. Um, we, we take huge advantage of Presto, albeit in the form of Amazon Apache or uh, uh, Amazon Athena. <laughs> so, so you can say we buy, we are using a lot of off the shelf product. We're just selective about how and how and where it goes. Yep. No, but then back to a little bit of the big room planning though, where you talked to, you talked sure. about you know, this construct where executives might set the, the larger business value and, and the 
the objectives that need to be pursued. Lots of many, di uh, lots of stakeholders are brought into the room so that, as you mentioned, change the calculus of value. Many different things can be discovered and discussed so that if there's this kind of opportunities for scale, right, that, you know, mm -hmm. that many people can participate in the cost and that magnify the ROI. And so, that's yeah, and so that that's a bit of what has happened, you know, over time, you know, with you and your team on this building out the platforms. But in that bigger room planning, was there a particular event or kind of genesis moment that led you all on the path you're on now? Or has it been more incremental? The reason I ask this question is just going to give folks, it's like that the, the insight into the decisions is always just as important as making those decisions sure. themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and I will I will cop to the the, the thing I'm going to suggest is going to sound a little like chaos because <laughs> in in more established operations, right, you tend to adopt a tool set mm -hmm. and you build competency around that tool set, and then that becomes kind of an anchor, yeah. right? That becomes a thing that is central to your requirements. And like, I don't need to answer this. What is my ETL tool of choice well, question anymore? It has been settled. And is yeah. this this is where we're going to do this work or what is my orchestration tool of choice or what is my data quality tool of choice, whatever it happens to be. We are, as a happy side effect of being a relatively small team, we have a, a, a lot more freedom in there too, to constantly be pursuing and exploring kind of the next best solution. So we, we stay, you know, kind of very tuned into what's, what's being delivered from Amazon natively, what the new advances are in some of the open source products that we and, and projects we stay, stay tuned in on and are constantly on the lookout for a better solution to a problem that maybe we've already solved, but came away feeling like there's still a better way to do that. That That's not as good as I need to yeah. going forward. Um, so we kind of take an opportunistic approach to some of this, which is we receive some goal we're going to go try to achieve. We begin by thinking about, look, we're going to do a one-off proof or we'll, or we'll do a small proof of concept on how that's going to work and then discover like, Okay, all those things that we knew were not ideal about the existing pattern are finally, we're starting to finally feel that stone in our shoe mm. as, we, as we pursue this. And this is the opportunity to maybe try out, for example, iceberg for backing everything that's in our, in our lake house, mm -hmm. mutable, mm. Um, in, in something smaller than full batch size. New, new technology, not as universally supported in AWS or in a lot of other tools and platforms yet. But if, when it works, it really does solve the problem that we're kind of trying to solve. And we can kind of take that action because we control the entire stack, because we built that entire stack to make that decision. And now's the time to flip the switch on whatever this is. Yeah, but you, br you bring up an interesting point there is like the small team. And so if you could walk folks through how you manage, right? With a small team, with a lot of data to manage, a lot of integrations and a lot of people mm -hmm. depending upon that data, there's always going to be that pressure to deliver, but then you also have research initiatives. So it's kind of like the, for those of us who are very familiar with agile, you're going to have a you know, amount of, as you, as you plan week over week, you have only so much capacity. So how do you get that? <laughs> how right. have y'all gotten that buy-in to say, Hey, we're going to actually dedicate, I don't know, X percent you know, over this course of time to doing research initiatives. They, and you have to understand that may not bear fruit, mm -hmm. right? Like, this thing may die. Like sure. if I put that plane in the ground, it may die. This is, this is, yeah, this is the experiment. Yes. We need to fund this experiment. Yeah. And the answer is uh, two, twofold. One, we are blessed by having a lot of great support from, from our, our business partners and our leadership. Um, we, we defend pretty strongly a certain amount of overhead we reserve for things like tech. Mm -hmm. 
Um, thing two is a trick that I've been carrying with me forever and a day. And that is, is that no, you don't get to hand over support as the, as the developer, yeah. which means that if it is a support headache, it is still on you and on the, on the core team and the engineering team to fix that support headache and make use of, of kind of those new tools to solve those problems. I understand that is not a solution that scales, but in a small team works great. And the third yeah. part is finding ways to be adventurous and brave and maybe even a little sneaky about it sometimes about like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go try this and I'm, and I'm going to, I, I did it. I did it the, the old way once and I've done it this, I've maybe tried it this new way. And I think the new way is going to work out and brave about pitching that as, as the way to go forward. Don't feel attached to the decisions that were made before those technologies existed. I have to admit, Jerry, I really was expecting point three to be part of your canon. Um, cause I, I don't, it almost feels like there should be a hashtag next to your name about sneaky, but I also, you had to, you had to, you had to prepend it with adventurous and brave so that the sneaky didn't look as bad. Well, here's the thing. It's yeah. only sneaky because if it doesn't work out, you, you, you note that it didn't yeah. work out. Right. But you don't like, oh, I feel yeah. right. It is. Hey, by the way, I still did the job. Mm -hmm. Thing one is do the job. Thing two is be brave about, don't be intimidated by any of the new technologies. Mm -hmm. Or, or stuff out there, because if you are, the story stops there. Yeah. But if you are getting the job done and you are brave and you are curious, then you're gonna do the experiment. I, I'm not gonna be able to stop, even if I tried. And you're gonna come away a little smarter from it. The, the, the sneaky part is, and then I built it into the solution I actually delivered <laughs> to you, so it already does. You didn't ask for this feature, but it has this feature. And it's, you may not understand, you know, as the, as the requester, you may not understand why that's a big deal today. Mm -hmm. But the price, the cost on a lot of future tickets you're gonna, you're about to follow up with here just fell because we built in this feature or we're taking advantage of this, this capability or function that you, you still don't care. It's probably other than the fact that, it, that it's lowering the barrier to solve the next problem in the list. No, but I, I love those three points in breaking it down for anyone that's listening on how do I both deliver and then drive innovation and say, if you don't mind, let's visit that first point, right? Like you're saying that you're very lucky with the leadership extending trust, but also that trust from your side has been earned, right? Like, and that the team has delivered. Were you lucky enough to come into Sparefoot slash Storable and that trust was there or did you have to build that up? So let's kind of cover point one there real quick. Like, did you have to do things to yeah, build I that think, out? I think the trust was there. I think we, we needed to do some work to uh, firm up and solidify that. Okay. Trust, right. So the, the innovation, the, the mindset towards innovation, towards creative solutions for problems mm -hmm. was there when I arrived. Okay. The, the folks that, that had built the, the, the portions that we inherited were brilliant engineers, right? Software designers. The challenge that we, we faced early on with, with functioning as operators of Dilford <laughs> solution. Mm -hmm. So there, there, there wasn't a great, you know, adherence to kind of a, a delivery SLA for the, for the, the products that came out back in. There wasn't a huge amount of responsiveness or as much responsiveness as was desired to, to onboarding new technologies mm. or onboarding new, new, new sources of data or yes. sending data to, to complicate and integrate with. Yes. So that first couple of, probably a couple of years really with the company was starting to shift the approach to operational support. Right. That, well, 
When he thinks it's you alerts because something broke overnight, that's because you're supposed to do something. Yeah. yeah, we need to do something. We need to react and make sure that we are noticing and adjust, fixing, fixing issues before yeah. downstream users notice. That begins, that, that, that gives you more buffer space to do the next thing, which is instead of focus, you know, as, as requests come in, you're not using the available time you have reacting to the fact that what should be operating is broken, right? right? This is this is old old software kind of engineering and, and management stuff. Create yourself, solve your support issues, so you create the headroom to do the innovative stuff. And the next piece of innovation isn't look how neat it is that I'm now plugged into Salesforce. It is how neat it is I created a framework that will let me plug into any RESTful endpointed engine and ingest data and, and crawl it kind of regardless of where it happens to work for Salesforce. Yeah, it's interesting you... Right, and shit, making that the approach. Well, I was going to say that it's interesting um, to mention support and the way your approach to support might not be scalable. And it, and it might not work for other people in how the team is structured, but the mindset and the idea mm -hmm. is really important, right? That's right. You know, and uh, you might be called on, your team might be called on and probably will be called on to support. Unless it's like, I'm going to restart this service in GCP, Azure, AWS, and it works again. There, there most likely has to be a third tier to get anything fixed, which means that team's going to be involved. So with that support first, the production first mindset, that how do I solve the, both the delivery pipeline, the, the monitoring, the telemetry, you know, the insights, you know, pipeline into what's happening, mm -hmm. you know, as there's the, as the kids are saying these days, observability, right? Same new word, you sure. know, all yeah. the things that all, all the, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. fresh lingo, right? Incoming fresh yes. lingo. I know. I, I get lectured by my teenager every now and then about how I don't understand his life. And it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> there are, I granted son, there are things that are absolutely different, right? Like I didn't have to worry about, you know, all my gaffes being recorded and shared across the globe. So. I, I, I will grant you that there are certain tensions, but let me tell you, teenagers have not changed in 10,000 years. Yeah. When I was a kid, there was a smoking section on there. Yeah. So all right, we're all yes, different. We're all different. Right. <laughs> like, let, let, me, let me meet you in the middle and tell you where I do see your differences. But, right. but so, but that, that support is a huge thing. As, I, as one of my other buddies who had in the podcast talked yeah. about, it's like, I don't really care too much about your tech or how you manage it you know, manage that tech or even how you manage requirements, but do you have right. a consistent and repeatable change management process? Because that's going to increase that trust. Mm -hmm. um, and then that really enables you to get to that third point you mentioned, which is well, if you've, if you've created the trust in what you can do, you've created that trust by both delivery, and then you've further bolstered that trust by continuing to deliver both changes and keeping mm -hmm. platform up through that support. Now you have, as you said, that headroom to be more curious um, and be brave in that curiosity. Right. Yeah, I mean, two, two things jump out, right? One is we are, you know, where, where support is concerned. Mm -hmm. Observability is one thing. Yep. Um, being smart about the way you engineer mm -hmm. functions and functionality so that they are robust and resilient and as often as possible self-correcting mm -hmm. is, is, another, is another big one, right? Failure, failures are lessons in every lesson Test <laughs> so over time, you are, you know, as, as you, as you iterate on it, the solution to a failure is not, you know, if the solution to the failure is just reboot it or create a kicking machine that flips it over, 
every, every, every six hours, then there's a problem. That's not a delivered solution yet. And staying focused on that until it is self-healing and self-correcting and the alert rates really do drop is important. The other, the other point I'll make though is, is that being frameworks focused um, is, is a, is a long-term and ever accelerating investment, right? It's kind of, it, it, it's compounding interest and the more time and more focus you then at that framework level, the, the less and less you find yourself needing to worry about the specific intricacies of each application mm-hmm. of that framework. You can kind of say, okay, we've got a set of operations, um, they're pointed at performing a bunch of ETL in some data system, right? Or we, you know, to do transformation, both native in the data lake via being in Presto, we do stuff in Redshift clusters. We do a little bit of everything because we, we carry a certain amount of legacy like everybody else. But the frameworks we use to perform those transformations are consistent. It kind of doesn't care what engine it's about to, to go step into. And the frameworks, uh, at least in the mental model side of things, start with a, I have to assume that before this job starts, it already broke. <laughs> it, it half executed and broke midway. So how do I make the job? Uh, the, the pipeline, the thing I'm about to go architect, idempotent, or however that word is pronounced. That notion of the answer is, mm-hmm. it can be in a broken state, it can be in a working state, it can be in a non-existent state, but at the end, it's always going to end. In- yeah, it's... Is important to, to hold. Is anybody talking about like the, the chaos monkey concept anymore? I mean, it was very popular, you know, a while back, but I mean, that's essentially what you're talking, you know, you're walking yeah, through. It, right, it is, right? That's right. Um... You know, a chaos funky for those that, that aren't aware of it was a, was a, a framework that I think Netflix yep. originally Netflix. created that would occasionally just, just reach into their infrastructure and crash or delete or break something important. <laughs> and the, 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 the purpose was to, to see how to, to make the system more resilient. At one point, the, the, the phrase, uh, the, the buzzword phrase was anti-fragile. Mm-hmm. Right, which is to say that the more times you, you break something in a particular way, the more times you react to it, the better and stronger it comes into play. And that is that's an important notion. That's an important concept to creating supportable systems. Is you never want to create a system that before I fix this, I first must unbreak it. I must spend X amount of time unbreaking. It. Right, the repair is part of part of the operational process and part of the thinking and approach to it. And there isn't. There isn't a good way to get better at that other than start doing it. No, and that's, I, I know I, we can always like mince terms um, and things, but um, I remember having a conversation with a client one time, you know, trying to get them to to really buy into the roll forward concept. We're saying, no, no, we always need roll back plans. Mm-hmm. It's like, you do realize until we've discovered how time works, we're always rolling forward. So you, so even if you're, quote unquote, still trying to roll back to a certain point in time for your data, you're still rolling forward because yesterday is not going to happen in the next hour. Like it's just not. So, mm-hmm. so adopt the roll forward mindset and just realize what that means for your thinking and your quote unquote recovery or roll back processes. Um, cause there is no such thing as rolling back. I can't remember the exact details of what caused it, but I did at one point have to have a long conversation with some peers of mine. Not at not at storable, but at a pre with with pre different mm-hmm. group about um, you have uh, dozens of these systems are tightly integrated to each mm-hmm. other. The way that they are integrated, and the way that they currently function, you cannot flash backward one of these right. systems. You are going to create a paradox, and 
instead of having one system that is slow, that is, that is broken and needs repair, you will have a dozen other systems that are now broken from the perspective of this one. Yeah. Right. It is kind of the, 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 the theory of, of relative, relative frames. You, you create a temporal, uh, a little, little bit of a paradox yes. where they, your, your inventory system believes it's yesterday and every other system surrounding it is pretty sure it's tomorrow. I think, uh, I think we've just described a very boring Marvel episode. Yes, that's right. <laughs> this, this one involves a whole lot, a whole lot of IT guys scratching their heads and just, just yes. sweating. And right. nobody would watch it, but it would but, be very interesting. <laughs> right. But yeah, that, I, you know, and the, the, the more integrated stuff becomes the more important. Ideas. And one of the things that we engineer into a lot of stuff, the solution we take into, we can't trust that some third party operator isn't going to decide that the right answer is roll time backwards. Almost everywhere we, we have one of those dependencies, we, we have to think about deduplication, assume that the same piece of data is going to arrive multiple times and work it out down, down the pipeline at some point, you build a filter in. Oh, yeah. Um, and once you've built that, once you've built the duplication in, you understand that, look, I'm going to interface with some of these rest endpoints where I have no idea what somebody's going to go do. Jerry, there's, there's just again, you, you've, uh, in short order, you also provided me two beautiful quotes that I get to use when we ch- post this on <laughs> social media. Um, I always like listen in to see, and it was, so I love the phrase that, you know, the kicking machine that constantly flips it over. So that one's going to go out there. I think I, I stole that from a guy named Marco, oh, okay. Hunt, who is another podcaster that I oh. do. So I give credit. Where okay. Credit is all right. Too. Well, then the other one I love too, is that your framework's focused. And then it's, it's basically like having compound interest, um, which is. That's right. So if we go back over the three main points, though, is like that trust building exercise, which, you know, you have to deliver. Sometimes that takes time. As you mentioned, it took you a couple of years to mm-hmm. that building that virtuous cycle and getting the flywheel in motion between points one and two. Trust in delivery, trust in keeping the systems available, trust in keeping them um, working. You know, the, so that took that ops mind, ops minded focus, which was point two. And then the third one is once you get that, that once you get that flywheel going, reduce your support, reduce your OPEX by having that framework focus, again, back to the ROI, now you have dollars, i.e. in your case, time and bandwidth to spend on that innovation. Right. So. Right. Dollars, time, and compute power are all, it's, it's like, you know, they're all the same thing in slightly different, with different yes, yeah, on them, right? Like, and yeah. mass is energy. Yes. <laughs> um, money is time. Right. Uh, that's, and that, 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 that's, a, you know, at some point you, you get to, if you do it right, you get to this point where they stop noticing you're there because they stopped complaining about you and then you've got the freedom. <laughs> that's kind of the ideal is, is that like you, you, you know, you are trusted when they stop forgetting that you're letting them down <laughs> to some degree. Right. And that is, I know it's a really cynical way to think about customer support, but you never call the phone company to tell them the phone is still working. Thank yes. you. Right. You only, you only call the power company when the power's out. <laughs> Right. Yeah. The other side of that is like the, that framework focus. And this is an important, this is an important mind that to, to, to have when you are operating in a tech leading position or just even mentoring more junior folks. Any question, any piece of functionality somebody's asking for, it, that's not the only thing you're going to hear <laughs> or be asked for that piece of functionality. And all of those principles from the 1950s about reusable code are still absolutely true. <laughs> So that, that thought about like, well, I built this amazing little widget and it solves exactly the problem you just asked me for. It is useful for any problem, even that, that's even one degree different, but it's great for you. Avoid falling into that trap. 
and think about, okay, and this is how I need to refactor and normalize this functionality out because I'm going to get another call like this at some point. I'm going to get another request like this at yeah. some point. Or it's going to break in another way that's very similar to this at some point. And I'm going to have to do the same kind of fix. Yeah, and then you help solve for that, like culturally where Thorable is today, that big room planning effort. Mm -hmm. We're taking mapping between top-level objectives, a groundswell, collaboration to to come up with an informed roadmap. So as you say, that's the other phrase I really like is change the calculus of value by seeing like yeah. going back to and ten time, where might I have reusable pieces? Where might I build and extend a framework versus just an individual solution? Frameworks lead to platforms and platforms are, you know, open up all a, a world of possibilities that, that if you were instead simply application focused. Absolutely. Uh, if folks want to reach out to you, what's the best way for just to get some advice or, you know, we've had, we've had this happen off on the podcast is that they drop, like people drop some knowledge and then like, uh, we get a lot of sure. folks that want to ping our guests and understand. So what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Should they do it LinkedIn or? Yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I am, I am Jerry Gregoire dash some string of numbers, um, that I'll provide to Sid and maybe you can put them in the show. All right. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time today. It's been awesome having you on. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening.